This morning as we were singing one of our uh, songs together, uh, I often pray during those times and just ask that the Holy Spirit will help me to speak in a way that's pleasing to him and a blessing to you. And I went back one more time and asked that this morning. And I said something I don't usually say in my prayer. I just said, whatever you want, Lord, I'll do. And if you want me to just completely change whatever, I'll do that. And while we were singing, he spoke to me and gave me the impression some of my people aren't living in freedom. Some people here today aren't living in freedom. And I think our Heavenly Father who loves you so very much wants us to live in freedom. He has declared you free. He has paid an incredible price for your freedom. And so today there may be some things in your life that are terribly difficult. Things that you didn't even plan on. Things that you weren't responsible for. Maybe fear is choking out the peace that you can have in his freedom. Maybe it is some decisions that you've made today, but I want to tell you with everything in my heart, God has set you free through his son, Jesus Christ. And what he has set free, what? You are free indeed. So even if you don't feel that right this moment, would you at least open your hearts and your minds to the very idea that today, in Christ, you are free? I want to read today from the book of Hosea. Uh, this is one of those moments I've mentioned uh, when I was in seminary as I was reading this passage, really, I think for probably for the very first time, that everything stopped as I heard the voice of God through his words. And not only heard his voice, but saw an element of his heart that I'd never seen before. Hosea 11:1 1 begins, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the balls and burning incense to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. And they will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king because they refuse to listen. They refuse to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts them. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath they will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like the birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. 
Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift to come into your house. This place that has been dedicated to you. We have been dedicated to you. We are your children. And we, oh Lord, words fall so short. But we are so thankful that today we are yours and we are yours forever. Our hearts are full when we consider all the things that you have done for us and above all what you have done through Jesus Christ. You have set us free. So help us to live in the freedom that you offer us. Help us turn away from anything that would enslave us. And help us to be totally yours. In you we find love and peace and joy and fulfillment. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always important to understand the original setting of a, a, of a biblical passage, and that's especially true in this passage because this is a passage that goes in a direction that you would not expect. There are many twists and turns. There are things that God does in this that many of us who not, do not know the book of Hosea would be surprised about. This story is set 700 years before the time of Jesus. And in this time within Israel, there's much going in, going on There's much going on without. Within the borders, God's chosen people are acting like rebellious, unappreciative teenagers. Although God has blessed them abundantly, the Israelites have chosen to chase after other gods and act adulterously. That's an important word in this scripture, adulterously. God has called them to return to him. He speaks through the prophet Hosea in a bizarre and most difficult way. He tells Hosea to marry a prostitute and be loyal to her and to love her and to raise her children as his own. Can you imagine that? This adulterous relationship is to be a loving, living metaphor to show Israel their adulterous ways. The story is summarized in Hosea 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Such difficult words. Many have asked over the I'm sure you've been asked, do you like your name? I, I, I'm kind of neutral on mine. There's times that I'm kind of pleased about it and other times not. But I'll tell you what, no matter how you feel about your name, it's, it's got to be better than the ones that Hosea gives his children. First, there's a boy named Jezreel, and Jezreel means punishment. And next, there is a girl named Lo-Ruhamah, meaning no longer have compassion. And finally, there is Loami, another boy, meaning not my people and I am not your God. And I wonder if every time that Hosea called the children in for dinner, if everyone in the community cringed at the sound of their names. But you see, God was trying to communicate how terrible the situation had become within the borders of Israel. 
Now, the situation outside of Israel wasn't much better. The great powers that surrounded Israel, and Israel being at the crossroad of three continents, is an especially attractive target. And so Assyria approaches, and the Israelites realize they're in a bad situation, and they ask themselves, what can we do? Well, listen, what they could have done is run to their heavenly Father, and repent of their ways and get down on their knees and humble their hearts and cry out to God as their ancestors had done, Lord, forgive us of our adulterous ways. Forgive us and protect us. And God, who we know is faithful as we read the Scriptures, we believe that he would have responded in such a way and would have come to their defense and protected them. But they chose not to. God would have saved them if, he would have, if they would have come, but he didn't. Just as they chose idolatry and harlotry, instead of returning to their God, what they chose to do is, listen, we'll fix this on our own. We're going to run to Egypt. We're going to make a bond between us and Egypt. We're going to make a bond between us and Syria. Instead of appealing to their heavenly father, they rejected him. And embraced other nations that had betrayed them and attacked them historically. And so for ten chapters in the book of Hosea, there's accusation and there's charge after charge. And there's disappointment in the voice and the tenor of God. And there's anguish in his voice. And by the time we turn to the eleventh chapter of Hosea, we are absolutely certain that now the axe must fall. The case has been made. There is no defense. Certainly, God will judge his people. But instead, instead, there's these incredible words of anguish from the heart of God and love. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more They called them the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the balls and burning incense to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Can't you hear it? Can't you hear it in this, this, the voice of God? A loving father who is brokenhearted over his rebellious children. His rebellious children that are just bent on running away from him. Bent on doing their, their own thing. Maybe some of you have gone through that. Maybe some of you have struggled with your kids and you've watched them make bad decisions. And they get to that age where you can guide them, but they don't have to take your counsel. And you watch brokenheartedly as you know that they're running in the wrong direction. It was I who healed them. It was I who led them with cords of a man with bonds of love and became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. A father holding his child. And I'll tell you, when I was in seminary and I read this, I think with meaning for the first time in my life, I just wondered, how is it that the heart of a perfect, majestic, powerful God, how is it that this God who created and sustains all things, how can it be that his heart hurts when his children hurt? What can we take from this passage today? How do we honor 
the first meaning, but also apply it to our lives. I think the first thing is that we, just like the Israelites, have challenges within and without. Inside every one of us, there's a constant battle. Will we be faithful to our God? Our God who has saved us and raised us and delivered us over and over? Or, or will we be like adulterous, rebellious teenagers with a bent on running away from God? Verse 7 says this, So my people are bent on turning away. That's not a language that we use these days, is it? My children are bent on turning away. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the image of a runner in the Olympics. And you know, they get in those old blocks, those, those starting blocks, and they coil themselves up in that, and every muscle in their body is ready to explode. You know, the, the path is set, the lines are drawn, the, the, the goal is there. And when the gun goes off, you expect them to run toward the goal that's been set before them, but instead, they are bent, they get up and they turn and they run exactly in the opposite direction. And there's the image My children are bent on running away from me. We are tempted every day to live an adulterous life. Perhaps not adultery between a husband and a wife, but anything that dilutes that first love relationship. It can be a job that just becomes too much a part of our life. It can become a a hobby that just consumes us. It can become a sporting event that we're compulsive about. Or it can become a relationship that we've got no business in. And none of us here today would carve statues or idols and put them in our house. But just remember how easy it is to turn anything into an idol that replaces our first love. I know what you're thinking Maybe you're thinking about that one thing that doesn't really belong in your life and there's all the justification that comes up and you've said them and I've said them. Not me. It's no big deal. No one knows. I'm not hurting anyone. It's under control. I can stop at any time. At least I'm better than old Bill down the street. Stop. It's foolishness, and we know it. If anything is diluting our first love with our Heavenly Father, it can be an idol that leads to destruction. Remember your first love, the one who saved you, the one who fed you, the one delivered you, and the one who loves you. And I think that's why the Spirit laid on my heart this morning. There's some today that may not be living in freedom. But remember the scripture that says, our Father is faithful to forgive. Our Father is faithful to forgive. He's just waiting. Desiring you, loving you, waiting for us to return. Just like the Israelites, we can be attacked from without. Each one of us has our own Assyrias. Maybe it's health that we just didn't expect was going to be so difficult or a financial issue or family issues and the temptation is to run around 
like the Israelites did. Let's go make a pact. Let's go make a deal. Let's go to our Egypt. Let's go work it out. Let me go like a chicken with my head cut off, running around and getting 17 different opinions from my friends. The Israelites tried to solve their situation with their own strength and their own cleverness. Stop. And remember your strength comes from your God. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults, and my song I shall thank him. Psalm 31, You will put me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Psalm 62, 7, On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge, is in God. Secondly, you know what? We all like happy endings, don't we? I kind of poke fun at Sandy because she likes those Hallmark movies. I looked up this. I was, I was uh, kind of curious about something. Do you know there's 37 Christmas Hallmark movies that they're putting out this year? 37. Oh, that's a lot of movies. Some of you are excited about that. I kind of saw that. In you. It's that idea of, man, we just... We just want to have a happy ending. We want everything to be solved by the end of the movie. I get it. We all do. This particular movie didn't end well, at least not in the short term. That's the second thing I want you to see. The Israelites did not repent. They did not return to God and did not cry out for his help. And God honored their decision. Verse 5 says, They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, he will be their king Because they refused to return to me. And every one of the things that God said, of course, came to pass. So where is the happy ending? Where is the hope we find? We find hope in the final movement in verses 8 through 11. Now listen, listen, are you with me this morning? Say amen. Just say amen. Amen. Thank you. I'd like to read these verses to you, but I'd like to read them in a slightly different way. At the risk of an early Sunday nap, would you just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes? And with every head bowed, I'd just like to read. But before I do, I just want you to do something that might be kind of hard. In your mind's eye, I want you to see Jesus and see him on the cross. Perhaps the image is one you've seen in a painting or a statue in church. See him hanging there, but be careful not to make the image too soft or too neat and clean. Blood runs into his eyes from a mocking crown of thorns. His hands and feet burned from being pierced. His body heaves and labors just to breathe. His lips move, mumbling in an effort to speak. You come closer, wanting to look away, but also wanting to hear what Jesus is saying. He opens his eyes to look at you and whispers, how can I give you up? How can I surrender you? 
My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy again, for I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. And look up here. Some of you are thinking to yourself, now those, those aren't the words of Jesus. Of course they are. Because when we look into the face of Jesus, we are looking into the face of God who spoke to the prophet Hosea. And we see him most clearly, most acutely at the cross. He's not changed. He's not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament to this very day. So where is the happy ending? We know how Israel responded 2,700 years ago. That's history. That's, that's done. That's complete. We know how God would have responded to the Israelites. He would have responded faithfully. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not the question. Here's the question of the day. How will you respond? How can I give you up? How can I surrender you? My heart is turned over within me. How will we respond to such love? How is it possible that a perfect God who needs nothing to be complete yet makes room in his heart to be vulnerable even to us? How is it possible that the almighty God who created all things seen and unseen could empty himself and condescend to the level of his children who are bent on running away from him? How do you respond to such love and grace? By returning love for love? Life for life? Growing in our maturity and our likeness to him and thanking him for every blessing relying on him for our every need would you pray with me good and gracious father we thank you for this opportunity we thank you for the words of Jesus and his command to remember him through the table through the bread and through the wine we thank you, Father, because it brings us once again to the cross, to the crossroads of life. And today, help every one of us, by the power of your Spirit, to choose you, to choose life. We pray these things humbly, in Jesus' name. Amen.